Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Just acknowledge um, our, all our families in the room. Um, today is the first Sunday of the month, and so it's an all-in family service. And so I'm going to do my best to to not waffle, not go too long, um, and hopefully provide an example or two, hopefully at least one example for um, some of our younger members of this church family. And so we are in a series called Church Complete, and this is part four, um, The Bride of Christ is the task that I have this morning. Um, and just a quick shout out to my beautiful wife, Alana. Yesterday we celebrated our third year wedding anniversary, and um, I just honor her. We spent the whole day in eldership meetings, um, but we did celebrate the weekend before, and I, I just honor her for her, her love for Jesus, her love for his purposes, her commitment to his purposes, um, and also that we get to do ministry together. I'm so grateful for her. She carries a weight that many don't see, and often it is behind the scenes, but I'm grateful for the blessing that she is wherever she is, um, and that we can do ministry together, and that she's my greatest human helper human helper and um, I'm so thankful for her so I honor her today um, and I'm grateful for her and grateful to the Lord I heard a I heard a pastor I heard of a story of a pastor one day he um, he struck up a conversation with a stranger in a cafe and as this pastor and the stranger were talking the conversation went on a little bit and the stranger asked what the pastor did he said what do you do for a living he didn't know that he was a pastor, by the way. And so the story went that uh, the stranger said, what do you do for a living? What do you do for work? And the pastor, uh, strategically, I think, responded by saying, well, I take care of another man's bride. <laughs> now, I can't imagine, I don't know where the rest of the story went, but I can't imagine him leading him to Christ in that moment. <laughs> and... Uh, it, You'd think it's mildly inappropriate, but I guess biblically it's kind of true. The bride of Christ, the church. And so this morning, our focus and emphasis is on the bride. And before I look at the scriptures, actually, let's read Ephesians. I'm going to read three, three verses this morning. Uh, and then I just want to quick, quickly give a, a disclaimer. So we're reading from Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 to 27, three verses, and and I'll explain why it's just those three verses. So from verse 25, and Paul has just spoken to wives, and now he's speaking to husbands, but as he speaks to husbands, he leans on the relationship between Christ and the church, and that's our emphasis this morning. So this is what from verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish and we're going to stop there and, and, and it's not because I don't want to speak into the the, the roles in a Christian household. That's an important thing and 
Paul makes a big emphasis on the roles within a Christian household. However, this morning, we are continuing a series called Church Complete. And the emphasis and the focus this morning is on the church. And Paul, in bringing this instruction, he leans on that relationship between Christ and the church. And he paints us and he, show, he gives us a further glimpse of what the church is to Christ. And so that's our emphasis this morning. Um, and no doubt, there'll be many opportunities where we'll begin to unpack Godly households and the roles of, of husbands and wives in a household, uh, but not, that's not this morning. So real quick question for the village kids specifically, but others, you're more than welcome to think about it as well. Well, I, not more than welcome, I hope you think about it as well. Village kids, what comes to your mind when I say the word church? What do you think of when I say the word Church. Few people can shout out if you'd like. The cross. A few other words. A loving community. Beautiful. I can't really read that one. What does it say? God is good. God is love. We're loved by Him, the Lord. Wow. Beautiful truth. Beautiful truth. I. No doubt there'd be many words that come to our minds as as I say the word church. And just so that we're on the same page as we move forward, when I'm referring to church or the word church, I'm referring to one bride. Jesus is returning for one bride. He's returning for the universal church. Now, what do I mean by the word universal, the universal church? I'm referring to the church, believers, Christians, all around the world, through all of time. Throughout the history of the church, All across the world, that's the universal church. And there is one universal church, one bride, and it's that church that Jesus is returning for. But the universal church, the church all around the world, is made up of hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of local churches. And those local churches, just like the village church, is made up of billions of individual believers, individual members of those local church bodies. And so all I'm wanting to say is often our minds might go to one thing or the other thing and we almost create this separation in our minds. But my point is, it's all connected. We're talking about one bride. Jesus isn't returning for a million brides. He's returning to, for one bride. But that bride is made up of millions of local church bodies, which are made up of billions of individual believers like you and I. And so it's all connected. And so hopefully we think of it that way as we move forward. All right. So this idea of the bride of Christ, the church being the bride of Christ, it's not a new random idea that Paul has come up with. Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is building on existing truth. In the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus himself refers to himself as the bridegroom. When his disciple, when there's the question around fasting, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. In the Old Testament, we see God refer to himself as a husband to his people. A husband to his people. This is what the prophet Isaiah says. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. According to Jeremiah, another prophet, this is what he says. 
Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Another question for the village kids in the room, but again for all of us. Does anybody know the story of Hosea and Gomer? Hosea and Gomer. A few adults, I see their heads nodding, but Hosea and Gomer. I suspect not for now, and that's maybe okay for now, but this is how this story goes. Are we ready? God speaks to a man called Hosea, and God tells Hosea to go and marry a woman. To go and marry a woman who is very unfaithful. And so Hosea goes and marries this woman. Her name is Goma. And again, she's very unfaithful. If you want to know what that means and get into the details, chat with your parents on the way home. But, <laughs> but she's a very unfaithful woman. And there's a representation. And so God says, Hosea, go and marry this woman. And so Hosea goes and he marries Goma and they have three children. But one day, Hosea wakes up and Goma is gone. And Goma has left Hosea. Goma has left their three children, which is devastating. And she's gone back to her former life, her unfaithful life. God speaks to Hosea again. And God says, Hosea, go again. Go and love this woman who is loved by another man and is right now committing adultery. Go, go again. Go find her and go and love her. And Hosea goes and he finds, he searches for Goma. He finds Goma. And Goma is a part of a, a particular industry where she now has new owners. And, and Hosea buys Goma back. He purchases, he purchases his wife to be his wife again. Do we see what this represents? And I think going into detail over lunch as families would be helpful because I can't get into it all right now. But, but do we see what this represents? Hosea goes, finds his wife and purchases her back. Do we know that our Hosea has come? Jesus has come, and just like Goma, or just like Hosea when searching for Goma, Jesus came into this world searching for the salvation of humanity. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Our Hosea, our Jesus, our bridegroom has come into this world searching for a bride. And so the point number one for us this morning is this, Christ redeemed his bride. And village kids, if you're able to take three notes, I'd love for you to write down the three R words that I'm using today. So the first word is redeemed. Christ redeemed his bride. Ephesians chapter 5, just verse 25, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loved the church and he gave himself up for her. You know, scripture tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24 verse 1. It's all God's. It's all his possession. And yet 2,000 years ago, our creator God, humanity, his unique possession, our creator God, God the Father, sent God the Son into this world to redeem the people of God. 
700 plus years after Hosea, our Hosea Jesus came. A bridegroom looking for a bride. And he redeemed the people of God. What does it mean to redeem? That first R word, redeemed. What does it mean to redeem? To redeem is to regain possession. And in this context, it's to regain possession of God's people. Clearing the debt of sin and the penalty of sin and saving us from eternal separation from God. For Jesus to redeem God's people, he's regained possession of God's people. He's cleared the debt of sin and the penalty of sin. And we as God's people are now saved from eternal separation from God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us. Let us never lose the awe and wonder of what it means to be redeemed. And in spite of all the sin and the wickedness that Jesus saw, he did not reject his people. But he did what needed to be done for sinners to be redeemed, cleansed, and become part of the bride of Christ. And so a simple question for all of us this morning is this. Are you redeemed? I know many in the room, and I know you are. But for those I don't know, are you a redeemed part of the bride? Are you a part of the redeemed bride? For those families with children who are, who are being raised in the faith, a conversation needs to be had at some point. Children, ask your parents, am I redeemed? Let that conversation happen. Point number two. Christ refines his bride. That's the second word that I'd love for our village kids who are able to write that down. That's the second R word this morning, refines. Christ refines, present tense. He refines his bride. Let's read two verses again from Ephesians chapter 5. Again from verse 25. Let this truth get in us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus' purpose on the cross. One of, my, one of our friends said that when he thinks of church, he thinks of the cross. One of the purposes of Jesus going, giving himself up and sacrificing himself on the cross was to sanctify the church. Firstly, to sanctify the church once for all. And bringing God's people, setting the church apart, and then making them once for all special to God. The position of being special to God. But then there's the continual process of cleansing. Christ has redeemed his bride. Now, can I have the village kids who are here, can you say these two words with me? Positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. What do I mean? For the adults as well, what do I mean? (laughs) Positional sanctification is we have been redeemed. Christ has cleansed us. We are justified. The righteousness of Christ has been imputed, has been placed in us, on us. And that's our position. Done and dusted. Justified. Christ has redeemed. But now again, village kids, can you say progressive sanctification? So there's positional sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. 
progressive sanctification is that Jesus continues the process of cleansing. We have been cleansed, positional sanctification. There is a process of being cleansed. There is a process of being refined. There is a process, a progressive process of being purified and matured and increasing in likeness to Christ. Positional, we are cleansed, redeemed. Progressive sanctification, we are being cleansed. Let me put it like this. The blood of Christ cleanses once for all time from the penalty and how did I let me let me get it right eh? let me get it right I want to make sure I get this right the blood of Christ cleanses once for all from the guilt and penalty of sin and it's the word of God that cleanses continually from the defilement and pollution of sin I'll say it short and then I'll go back to the detailed one. The blood cleanses, the word purifies. The blood redeems, the word... Just as the blood of Christ cleanses once for all from the guilt and penalty of sin, the word of God cleanses continually from the defilement and pollution of sin. The blood redeems... The word refines. The blood redeems. The word refines. And at this present time, right now, the church is being continually cleansed. It's being continually washed and bathed by the word of God. And it's the word of God by the spirit of God that the church is being cleansed continually. We are already Made, we're already placed or put into the position of being cleansed. But now we are being cleansed in practice. We are already pure in position, but it's the Word of God by the Spirit of God that makes us pure in practice. We are pure in position, but the Word of God sanctifies to make us pure in practice. We see in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 17, Jesus makes a connection between, he prays and he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. There is a a link and there is a connection between the word of God and sanctification. So the blood redeems and the word refines. Here's a quick example for village kids in the room. Let's let's bring it to you for a moment. Let's say for our, our village... Let's ask the question. Village kids, do you have any friends at school that swear? Hands up. I knew I had a lot. I had a lot of friends. There's quite a few hands in the room. Now, you don't need to put your hand up. But over time, because your friends are swearing or insulting others, because you hang around them, over time, is it easy to to maybe swear or insult others as well? You don't have to put your hand up. And let's continue in this, in this example. So not only do you have lots of friends at school that are swearing and insulting others, and maybe over time, you, you know, bad company corrupts good character. You know, who you hang out with is who you become. And so over time, you begin to maybe swear or insult others. And then let's say you just, you were swearing at school on Friday, you come home, 
And you know, as a family, you have Friday night Bible study before movies and pizza. I'm not sure what your family does, but, but your dad says, right, family, we're going to sit down together and we're going to open God's word. And let's just for this example say that your dad opened the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4. And you guys began to read to verse 29. All right, so you've been swearing and insulting others because your friends have been rubbing off on you. The Bible's now been opened to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, just randomly, all by the Spirit of God. And you begin reading, and it says something along the lines of not to use foul or abusive language, but let everything we say be helpful and encouraging. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, convicts you. He, he reminds you that God, this is God's way. This is the way of the world, but the Bible shows us God's way, and it shows us that how we're living is wrong. And in that moment, we realize, actually, I need to confess and repent and say, Jesus, forgive me. Help me to live your way. And we make an adjustment. And the next Monday... We actually decide not to swear or insult others or even maybe to bring some separation to those friends. That's an example of the word of God continually cleansing us and changing us where we don't. It's not that we're not Christian, but now our practice adjusts. Hopefully that makes sense. And so here's a question for us all. Are you allowing the word of God by the Spirit of God to refine you. Outside of a Sunday service, does the Word of God even have an opportunity to refine us? Point number three. And we'll go through this one quickly and then close with a couple application questions. Christ will return for His bride. The third R for those taking notes is He will return for His bride. Just want to read those three verses again. Let this sink in. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, normally in the tradition, The bride is presented to the bridegroom by a third party. It's the father of the bride who might present her to her groom or the brother or or an uncle or someone special to her. But in this case, we see that the bridegroom is presenting the bride to himself. Jesus is presenting the church to himself. Why? He is the only one who could prepare her for this occasion. He is the only one. And Paul, he's, Paul is speaking of the, the future plans for his bride. And I'll just leave it very quickly and very simply. Jesus intends to bring the church to a high level of purity and maturity before he comes back. Amen. And I can tell you this. The church will certainly succeed in being made ready for his return. Because the gates of hell cannot defeat Jesus' church. This will happen. What does Paul mean by a bride without spot, without wrinkle? Have you ever 
Have you ever been to a family function or a wedding or somebody's 18th or even getting yourself ready and dressed for church on Sundays and and you've spent 45 minutes picking out I'm speaking mainly to the ladies well hopefully I'm speaking to the ladies but hey blokes if it takes you that long that's between you and the Lord I won't judge but it's taken you 45 minutes or so you've picked out your outfit you've gotten dressed it's a bit pressured because you know you want to be here at at least 5 to 10 because the service starts at 10 and and there's pressure and then you look in the, the mirror for the final time where you speak to your husband and you're like, how do I look, love? And husbands know what the answer is. You look absolutely stunning. And then she noticed there's a spot on the dress. Is, is this just Alana or do others? And you've got to go through the whole process again of getting changed because you can't go to that function or that wedding or the church service with like a big stain that you rubbed up when you walk past the tire of the car or something. And so you go through the process and get changed. How do spots get on clothes? Something external splashes on or something external rubs on. And on the question of wrinkles, purely from what I checked in Google... According to Google, wrinkles are a result of a fault in the body. And that fault, it might be a strong word, but whether it's hormones, stress, or aging. Primarily aging, as we'd all know. But, but what's, the, what's the point I'm trying to make? The point I'm trying to make is that the world around the church causes the spots. And the flesh still in the church causes the wrinkles. As the church goes through life, as young people go through school with those swearing friends and insulting friends, or as we as adults go through life and work and sports teams or whatever, we're in this world, not of this world, but so often the world rubs up against us. The world splashes and splatters its ways on us and we get spots. And the flesh still in us, because the process of refining is not yet complete, sanctification is not yet final, there are still, there is still flesh within us, spiritual wrinkles, spiritual spots. But there will come a day when Christ returns and the process of sanctification will be complete and Jesus himself will present to himself a glorious church that will have reached the pinnacle, the peak, the highest point of beauty and spiritual perfection. That will happen because the gates of hell cannot defeat Jesus' church. That is our future hope. That will become our future reality. And so just in closing, and I, I recognize the time. Number one, how is your love for the bridegroom. Children, how is your love for Jesus, our bridegroom? Just like a marriage requires unwavering devotion and wholehearted commitment, God showed unwavering devotion and wholehearted commitment to us. That's the love that God loved us with. That's the love that motivated Christ coming to redeem us. The love that motivates Christ to continue to sanctify us and refine us. And it's the love that will one day be displayed at our glorification, at at the return of Christ. But how is our love for Him? 
We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. That's the love he showed us with. And as his people, we're called to love him back with the same sort of love. How is your love for the bridegroom? You know, something that dawned on me last week as I was preparing before Naruahia. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus around AD 60 to AD 62. Around AD 60. 35 years later, another letter was written to this church. Around AD 95. Not, not from Paul, but from Jesus through John in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, we see what Jesus continues to say to the church in Ephesus. 35 years later, Jesus says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And the challenge for us as God's people today is, have we abandoned the love we had at first? Our unwavering devotion our wholehearted commitment, have we drifted from that love? And just question number two, how's your attitude towards the bride? Think of your reaction if someone was to speak bad of your spouse. How does Jesus feel towards his bride? How does Jesus think of his bride? How does Jesus talk of his bride? We, saw in the late, we see in the later verses, if we continue to read, that Jesus cherishes and loves his bride. And we ought to do the same. We ought to speak well of his bride. Could we stand to our feet, please? From the youngest to the oldest, for those who are able. In the past, Christ's love was manifested in our justification. In the present, his love is seen in our sanctification. And in the future, his love will be displayed in our glorification. And it's all out of his love. And so, Father, as we stand together as your people, from the youngest to the oldest, we're so grateful, Jesus, that you showed great love, that you redeemed and saved and cleansed us. But you didn't stop there. You continue to cleanse and refine and purify us. And one day, Jesus, you will return for that glorious bride who has reached the pinnacle of beauty and perfection. And we, we just say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful to you. Thank you, Jesus. We're grateful, Lord. Amen.